It is so good to be here. It's been a long while uh, since we've been together in this, in this context. I can't say it's been a long while because some of us were already together in, uh, this last Sunday. But we're going to be continuing our, our Bible study series on life together and what it means to be community. And so why don't we uh, join our hearts together in prayer. <clears throat> Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the newness and freshness of this day as your spirit summons us and calls us together uh, to be a community of faith, uh, faith, hope, and love in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for my friends here as we gather together in Bible study to look into your word, that your spirit would uh, grant us wisdom, would guide us into all truth. We pray, Father, for those not able to be with us, that you would extend your blessing and grace to them, and perhaps those on their way, we pray for traveling mercies. Father, as we uh, look into your word and uh, learn what it means to be community, the purpose of it, and why you call us together as the church of Jesus Christ, might you, O oh Lord, uh, strengthen and deepen the bonds of love that bind us together one to another. Lord, we seek you and we seek the face of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All righty. Why don't we go right into the text? We have three, uh, Psalm 84, and I'll have uh, more introductory comments about the series and about this particular, um, this particular theme today of the door and the images of door and what door means in, in Scripture and gate. So first, Psalm 84, and then we look at Luke 13, and then Revelation 3. So first, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, Hear my prayer, give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. Then in the New Testament, the gospel according to Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 22. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? 
He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then in reply, he will say to you, I do not know. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And then the final reading in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I have to uh, say, uh, and I said it to this table, but I'm going to now broaden it. Uh, when I took my wife to watch Downton Abbey last week, I couldn't help but think not only of this particular table, but of all of you. Uh, it was such a fun thing uh, to, to see. I think someone commented, maybe it was Laura on Facebook, it was like a reunion of old friends in uh, Downton Abbey. So if you haven't seen it, it's a wonderful... I really wasn't into the, the TV show itself. Uh, you know, I saw snippets here and there as Grace would watch it on, uh, on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. Uh, but it was such a, uh, an interesting and fascinating story about the human spirit and human nature and the, and the heart and what people bring to gatherings and what people bring to parties, what people bring to their relationships, what people bring to Lady Grantham's home and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we've been exploring uh, since Village Fest. That was like way back, how many, just like three weeks ago, wasn't it? The beginning of September. We're already into autumn. I won't even mention Christmas coming up. Right? We, um, we won't even go there. Uh, but as we have started this uh, Bible study series and Pastor Jack guiding us through the, the sermon series that will take us all the way through the beginning of Advent um, is when this series will, will end. But even though the series ends, even though the series, this Bible study sermon series ends after Thanksgiving, the living out of community is lifelong, right? We're not on hiatus. The series continues. And as we saw in the prior weeks of how the Lord gathers together community, uh, children, women, and men of all ages and every time and place. We saw how where uh, Pastor Jack um, spoke about the Word of God as, as symbolized by the pulpit and how the Word of God calls us together and how we are under the authority of Word of God and how the Scriptures are that authoritative text um, that testifies, that witnesses to the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And then he spoke to us about the Lord's table and how at the Lord's table 
this is the place where the community, where our life together uh, culminates, right? Where we celebrate and receive and nourish by the body and blood of the Lord. And then we saw, looking at the baptismal font, of how the baptismal font is that place where the community is constituted, where we are formed, where, we're, where we are named and claimed as, as sons and daughters, where the bonds of the water, um, water is thicker than blood, that it is through and in the baptismal waters that we are sisters and brothers in Christ. And so from font to the table, the family, the community is nourished. And then Pastor Jan last week preached about the pews, the image of the pews, and how in our particular setting, the pews, it's the curvature of the pews. And I think together with the, uh, the chancel over the choir, 90-member choir, 90 members or 95, right? 95 maybe, 95 choir. The, the curvature of the chancel together with the curvature of the pews are like God's arms embracing us. And we are gathered together in community. And she shared last this past Sunday of how sitting together, literally sitting together, being with each other, uh, rubbing shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, that's what community does, right? So today, we're going to be talking about door. Doors. Now, how many of you have been ushers and greeters, or, or are presently ushers and greeters here at Village Church? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. About 14 of you are, are ushers and greeters, and uh, the call is out. I think Pastor Jen amplified this last week. If you would uh, like to uh, try out uh, and to inquire about uh, serving as usher or greeter, please be in touch uh, with the Worship and Mission Commission and with Pastor Jen, because we'd love to hear from you. But Every time that we pastors, uh, you know, welcome folks in the morning when we're there to see that, you know, everything's in place, we make it a point to say hello to the, to the ushers, uh, to the greeters, because you all play a very important role, a very, very important role, because you are at right, literally, at the front end, the first exposure that any visitor who comes to the campus will see. And if you're not smiling or if you're not, wow, it's so glad to see you this Sunday, the person will just go, what kind of church is this, right? And so you sort of set the tone for what a person who visits the church will see and will experience. Are you exuding love? Are you exuding maybe reverence? Are you exuding uh, thankfulness that this stranger is here? And so we stand at the door of the building, not quite at the sanctuary, but of the, of the narthex, and we're greeted by the greeter and by the medallion on the floor. Now, if you ever notice when I do children's message or even when I greet the greeter, and I'm not expecting that you watch my movements, but if on a Sunday morning you see me walking in the narthex or I'll be doing children's message this coming Sunday, I never stand on those medallions. I always walk around it. 
because on those medallions is the cross, and around the medallion is a scriptural verse. Now, that first medallion on the opening of the door is the time capsule, right, that you all had, had, uh, had buried back in um, 2010 or 2000, 2010, isn't it? And there it is. So you're standing at the door, and if an alien from outer space were to parachute, and they're standing at the door, and there's a smiling greeter, you are struck with something special is happening here. Because the door is open, and you look straight ahead. You look down, there's a medallion with the cross and the Word of God a verse. You look straight ahead, and you're greeted by what? By the rose window. And that rose window has something special. It symbolizes the triune God, right? The triketra. And you're in there and you see, wow, there's something special about this place. And you glance down just a little bit and there's the chancel. Even if you didn't know that the choir, even before the choir processes in, you know that something's about to, special to happen. And the pipe organ that meets your eyes. We haven't even entered into the door. We're just standing right at the entrance of the door. Now, imagine the choir standing in that chancel, and you hear them. You see the sheer number of them, and you hear them sing. And you say, something special really, really is going on. You look and place your eyes just a little bit lower, and you see the Lord's table, our round wooden Lord's table right there. And on there is set a chalice and a paten. Something really sacred is happening in this place. Psalm 84 is something like that. Psalm 84, as I put in your outline, is in a group of psalms called the Songs of Ascents. Not ascent, like pine or lemon, but ascend. Psalm, 100, Psalm 120 through 134 plus Psalm 84, so these 15 psalms, there's 150 psalms, these 15 psalms together are called Songs of Ascents, because they were sung as the Israelites made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, right? Because Israelites lived in many different places in Israel, right? The different tribes uh, were, were scattered about in Israel. You didn't just live in Jerusalem, you lived in many different places. And so when they would go to Jerusalem and they would go to the temple to make the holy sacrifices and to pray and to praise the living God, they would proceed in a valley, the Kidron Valley, and any of you who have been to the Holy Land uh, know what I'm talking about. I was there about 11 years ago with a group of 20 pastors for three weeks on this pilgrimage, and I knew, and I know exactly what this image is of you're in the valley, and as you are imagined, you are with your family, you are with your farm animals, you are lugging in your wagon after a dusty walk, you're walking and walking, excited, maybe tired. And after you are traversing the dirt paths, you go from the valley and up. There are the walls of Jerusalem. 
There are the gates. And you proceed a little further, and there is the temple. The temple which you had seen before. The temple, perhaps, which your grandmas and grandpas told about of the stories of our ancestors who were freed from the exodus, of how this living God who was so faithful and loving toward us guided our ancestors through the dry, hot, long desert journey, that in that temple, in that place, God promises to be present. God desires to receive our sacrifices. This is the place where the high priest will offer sacrifice on our behalf. This is where songs will be sung. And so you are so excited because the other ancestors, the other members of the wider community will converge, rendezvous in that place. And so you sing a psalm, 84, or Psalm 120, or 21, or any one of the other 14 psalms, songs of ascents. And you're not even at the gate yet. You're going up, and you're praising God, because you can't help but meet your fellow community members, and you can't help but be excited because the living God will be present and is present in that place. That's what Psalm 84 is, is portraying for us. It is a praise, a praising psalm that is being sung. Now, in the, in the scriptures, uh, in all of our English translations, it says uh, this is uh, written by the Korahites. Korahites. Let me just make sure that I pronounce them correctly. Korah, the sons of Korah. Yeah, the Korahites. Now, this is not a, this is not a live band, right? Uh, the sons of Korah, right? Psalm 84, sung by the sons of Korah. It sounds like something that, you know, at the belly up or something, right? Uh, come, and sing, come and sing with the sons of Korah. It's a live event. Come now. The sons of Korah or Korah, was a grandson of Levi. Now, Levi, of course, is one of the, uh, one of the sons of Jacob, Jacob, Israel, um, and Levi, that particular tribe, who were the priests, right? They were the priests. They're, they were the ones who took care of all the things in the temple. Uh, Levi had, um, had several sons. One of the sons was Kohath, and Kohath had a son, Korah, so the Korahites. The Korahites were the ones who were responsible to sing. They were the singers. They would be the, the choir. They also took care of the, the pottery and the vessels, you know, that were in the temple, but they were, by and large, uh, the singers. And so they, they wrote this psalm, and you'll notice when I read this, I paused because Selah, there was the instruction, these are the rubrics, right, that were given to the congregation. Um, this was meant to be sung by everyone, and this is the rubric also to the musician. And so when Selah is mentioned, it's pause. Let's be still. Let's internalize and consider what was just read or what was just sung. What we'll find as we look now in Psalm 84 is that the two Selahs breaks up the psalm, this psalm, into three parts. Into three, uh, three uh, um, truths or, or uh, three descriptions of who is this God? 
Who is this God that we are about to meet, that we are going to encounter, that we're going to worship, that we are going to uh, love, and who loves us back? Okay, so that's how Psalm 84 is proceeding. So first, the first selah there that at the end of verse 4 then says, consider the first four verses. Now, what is the first four verses saying? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, my soul my soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God, happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. What is this first selah, this first section about? It is saying that it is wonderful to dwell. It is wonderful to be a resident in your presence. That to be in your presence, Lord, to even be in the courtyard, right? To even be in the courtyard here with the donuts and the coffee and the pergolas is good. That there is no other place I would rather be but here. That there is no other place than 6225 Poseidon and I would be not even Tahiti, not even Geneva, Switzerland. I want to be here because I know that when I come, when we come, Lord, we know that you're here. How lovely is your dwelling place that my soul has longed, my soul has longed, indeed it faints, it is as we're going up to Jerusalem's gates, which means going to Jerusalem's gates means we're going to enter Jerusalem and go to the temple courtyard, because that's why we're here, that we will find, we will find, as like the swallow and the sparrow, we will find our home. This is where we find our identity, going home. One of our elders, we had a, he and I had a meeting yesterday before uh, he goes off to vacation early this morning, and um, he and his wife are going for, uh, for a couple of weeks, and uh, he used the word home. He said, uh, Neil, uh, you know, just as you went back to the Philippines to your parent land, sort of home, I'm going to the place where I grew up in Canada, home. It's one thing to have our resident here, right? Where do you consider home? What is it about home? Home is the place where you are known. Home is a place where you are nurtured, right? Home is a place where you can be yourself. Home is a place where you can eat your favorite food and cook. I mean, all those things that we, it, it brings us back to wonderful memories of joy and love and, and all those things. Perhaps, unless you have a broken home, right? Then it brings a whole other set of memories. But for our purposes, the, the home that, that nurtures and that grounds us, right? And that's what this is, that as the Israelites, as we as people of faith are journeying through the pilgrimage of life, the Lord's heart is our home, where we find our purpose of this is who we are and this is whose we are. 
And so, like the birds that find their nest, like the swallow that finds their home, and notice how the Lord is described here, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all the heavenly creatures who praise Him, the Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Wow, this is the God who rules over heaven and earth. He's the King, but yet, this is the God who calls us to be home with Him, right? This is not a far-off monarch, a far-off sovereign um, who is just, you know, doesn't want to be with us. This is my king and my God. And then it says, Selah. Pause for just five seconds. Close your eyes if you'd like to. Just consider that particular truth and reality. The Lord God and King, mighty and powerful, desires our home to be in his heart. Let's just pause for that first Selah. Next Selah, uh, verses 5 through 8. Happy are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. I won't touch the piece about Valley of Baca. I don't want to steal Jack's thunder for, uh, for a Sunday. I'm sure he's going to have a field day about that one on, on Sunday. Uh, but this next sila, whereas the first sila is our home is in the Lord's heart, in the Lord's presence. We find our home in Him, our identity, our belongingness in, in this God, in our God, in my King and my God. This next sila is talking about strength. God provides us with strength. He provides the provision. He provides the watering springs to quench our thirst. Notice here that it goes from strength to strength. From strength to strength, the God of gods will be seen in Zion. From strength to strength. From the strength, we left our homes where we were fed to go on this journey and now we're going to Jerusalem and where we will be fed with spiritual food and physical food. So I left home where I came here, um, and Grace and I always have breakfast every morning after the boys set off. We always have, always, without fault, always have our French press coffee. She has one mug. I have two mugs. We almost always have scrambled eggs, almost always. And today, without fault, we had our eggs with spinach on toast. We always have, and this is without hyperbole, we always have fruit, blueberries, whatever might be the case. Um, we had Max McLean, uh, his, his nice voice read to us, and I recommend Max McLean if you want an audio Bible. Have him just uh, type in Max McLean, M-C-L-E-A-N is his name, and he'll read the scriptures in this like a, like a thespian, he, he, he reads scripture. So we're hearing this. I ate breakfast, prayed scripture, strength, to get strength. From strength to strength. To come to Fellowship Center at 6225 Pasei Delicias to be with 80 wonderful sisters in Christ, right? 
to be nourished and to be nurtured and enriched by community from strength in Carlsbad to strength to, after this, I have a meeting uh, to plan a wedding to strength. And from there, we'll do another meeting to strength. And then back home to prepare for dinner number one because our boys have two dinners after school. They have one dinner, and then at 8 p.m., after their homework, they have dinner, too, because they're teenagers. Of course, they have to have dinner. From strength to strength to strength, right? And then walk the dog to strength, and then maybe watch a little TV, maybe do some reading, and then rest to strength. This next sila is saying, from one place where you divide where you derive strength, where the Lord provides for you on the journey of life as a pilgrim in this life. The Lord is taking you from this place and that place to nourish you physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, mentally, all those things. The Lord is providing this image of the, the God who travels with us from strength to strength to strength. Now, Notice how it ends there. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Now in the Old Testament, uh, the covenantal name of God um, is, is given in different ways depending on the context. Sometimes God will be identified as God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or sometimes the God of Israel, or the God of Abraham, uh, the God of David, uh, the Lord God Almighty. All those are synonyms. Here, O God of Jacob. Now, why O God of Jacob? Because by this time, you know, Jacob is already named Israel. Why not just call him God of Israel? Why not call him that or some other name? But he says, O God of Jacob. What do we know about Jacob? Jacob endured a lot of hardship. Number one, Jacob and his brother Esau fought, right? Birthright and covenantal promises. Number two, Jacob so he thought for many years, nearly lost his son, Joseph. Most of, most of the end of Genesis is about Joseph, right? Being kidnapped, being separated from the family. And so Jacob wonders, where is my son Joseph? And finally, they're reunited at the end of Genesis. And how does, how does Genesis end? After Jacob gives his blessings and so forth to his sons, uh, Jacob dies uh, and it says there, uh, and he instructs his sons, you know, that my body, my remnants, my bones are to be buried with the ancestors. And we know how Exodus begins. The Israelites are already in Egypt. Well, so how then will Jacob's bones and body be brought with the ancestors if the Israelites are in Egypt? Well, if the Word of God says that Jacob's bones and body will be buried with the ancestors, will his body and bones be brought to the ancestors? Absolutely, right? So we know that Moses and the Israelites have to be successful on the Exodus. They have to leave Pharaoh. They have to leave Egypt. Will they make it to the promised land? Yes, they have to because God said, through Jacob, my bones and body will go to the ancestors. It has to happen because if God says it will happen, it will happen. And so this life of Jacob is one of hardship but is one of promise fulfilled from strength to strength. So this next sila drives home the point for those who are singing and hearing this, 
on your life, on your pilgrimage of faith and life, as, as distressful, as challenging, as anxiety-ridden it is, like Jacob, the God of Jacob is the one that will see you through, even if it, does, even if it doesn't look like or feel like it in the case of Jacob. Wow, imagine being separated from his son Joseph and wondering, will my family ever come together again? The God of Jacob proved to be true and trustworthy. And so, let me invite you now again for this second Selah to consider the God who provides you from strength to strength is true and trustworthy. Let's pause and and let's reflect on that for a few moments. And finally, this psalm ends with a benediction. So just as the first set was, this God who is my king and my God who provides a home in his heart for me, the second set, he provides and guides us from strength to strength, providing for our life, a life that is like a pilgrimage, or that is a pilgrimage. This, sec- this third part is a blessing, this blessing of um, that it is better to be here in your court than a thousand elsewhere. Um, and it says here, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. It begins in verse 9, look on the face of your anointed. One of the blessings that we pastors offer to you all at the end of a worship service is that blessing um, um, that Aaron says in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace, right? Both Both now and always. That when the Lord's face shines upon us, we're asking and confirming that the Lord is blessing and delighting in us. And so this this final piece of Psalm 84 is, Lord, look upon us. You are our shield. You are our protector. Bestow honor and favor. Happy is everyone who trusts in you. Happy or blessed. We are blessed because we place our trust in you, God, the one who is our home and the one who is our provider. So then... When we get to Luke 13 and this door, Jesus has, is teaching a parable. Now, Luke 13, there are, other, there, there are other parables, and so we have to connect this text in Luke 13, 22 through 30. Um, this business about the door being closed, right? This is a business about the door being closed, and the, the two prior parables, or three parables, prior parables that Jesus teaches. What are those three parables in Luke 13? The fig tree, the fig tree that will be fruitful, that will bear fruit, the mustard seed, from a little mustard seed will grow a tree, and that the birds will, will nest. The parable of the yeast, Luke 13, 20 and 21, uh, comparing the kingdom of God as like a woman who is kneading the yeast or kneading the, the dough with the yeast, and then the yeast penetrates every part of the, of the dough, of the bread. And then this business of the door. And then someone asks him, or he says uh, that the door will be shut, answering the question, how many will be saved? And then they proceed to say, well, you know, 
Don't you remember us? We ate and drank at the streets. And he says, oh, I didn't know you. Now, let's be clear that in this parable, is Jesus talking about particular numbers? Is he giving a quantitative analysis of how many will be saved? He doesn't go down that path, even though human nature wants to try to pin down what is that exact number. Jehovah Witnesses like to do that all the time. Are you one of the 144,000 or so that will be saved? That's not what Jesus is about, because we know Jesus welcomes all people into his heart, into, into, God's, uh, into God's kingdom. But what is he doing in this particular parable of talking about the door being shut and, oh, you know, we ate together, but I didn't know you. This would be equivalent to us sort of taking for granted God's presence. Oh, we're in God's presence. Oh, you know, let me just walk into the door, into the sanctuary. So let's step into the sanctuary. Oh, let me just take a nap. While the pastor is preaching. Oh, and while the choir, who practiced a lot, who practiced and and. And Juan Carlos, you know, thought about the, the song and the particular song selections and the bulletins that were carefully printed and, and folded. And you just sort of, someone just sort of nonchalantly, uh, you know, walks in, who should know better? Okay, notice, he's talking to people who should know better. And you just sort of walk in and maybe put your foot on the pews, step on the medallion on the floor, don't really pay attention to the sermon. Oh, okay, maybe it's first Sunday and the, the bread and the cup are being passed and you're just sort of, eh. The kingdom of God, he's saying here, has intentionality. The kingdom of God is here. So here's the opportunity now to engage, to encounter this living God, to engage the Lord. The Lord is here. Uh, to hear his words, to praise him to love him, uh, not to take him for granted, not to take for granted the kingdom of heaven and the presence of the kingdom of God, but to be right here, to be aware that the Lord is here through word, through sacrament, through the community, that when we enter the gate or enter the door, we can expect that the Lord will meet us. The Lord will meet us. That's what sets apart the sanctuary or wherever two or three are gathered from the Boy Scouts or from the golf club. It's not to say that God is not present in those places. We know that from Psalm 139, wherever I go, God is there, right? The Israelites knew that. Of course, Jesus affirms that God is there and God is there and so on and so forth. But there is a primary thing that happens when people gather together, when believers gather together in worship. Because this is the opportunity now to hear sermon, to receive sacrament, to receive the songs, to sing those songs, to pray, to pray with others, to pray for others. This is an intentional time, this one hour, hour and a half, that's different than what occupies our time in other places, even though God is present in those other places. So that's what Jesus is teaching here, just like the prior parables of the fig tree, the mustard seed, and the yeast, the kingdom of heaven is present right here, right now. Don't take it for granted. Don't take him for granted because he's present. Don't miss the opportunity. And so lastly, Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20 is written at the end of a letter, right? There are seven, uh, the so-called seven letters to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. 
the letter to the church at Philadelphia, at Pergamon, at uh, uh, Thyatira, at Sardis, Smyrna, thank you, at, uh, this one is at Laodicea, and there's one more. I'm forgetting one more. Ephesus, thank you, Ephesus. And this one at Laodicea is addressing the lukewarmness of the church. Now, some, some biblical scholars are, have asked, were there actual seven letters to seven churches? Could be. Um, or can it be that uh, the symbol of seven, the symbol of seven as a completeness, that the letters, each of the letters together, each and together, are addressing God's message to all churches? Whatever might be the case, the point being that the, the letters and the book of Revelation was given to a church that was wondering about its identity. Because what happened? St. John, who wrote this, he was in exile on the island of Patmos in the middle of the Mediterranean, are writing to a church that has been scattered because what happened? The Roman armies invaded Jerusalem, and the wall and the temple were destroyed. The wall and the temple that I described earlier, that the, that the ancestors from way back went up and saw that whole temple, that image of what home, heaven on earth was, was destroyed. Bloodshed in the streets. Massacre. And so the church wondering, what are we to do? What is the purpose and mission now? And so the book of Revelation is given as a way to encourage the church who is wondering what to do, persecution, and all the rest. So Revelation 3.20 is addressed to the churches. Listen, it says, I stand at the door and knock. Now, this is not only knocking on our own personal heart's door like uh, the late Billy Graham did at, at his crusades, right? The Lord is standing at the door knocking at your heart. Ask the Lord to come in um, to, to make you a believer. On the one hand, it is about individual people. On the other, this is addressing the whole church, the community. The Lord is knocking on the door of the church. Let us find our purpose, our home, our identity in this God who comes to us in our community life. So it is true that, uh, according to the late Bob Munger, who, who served as senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church at Berkeley, that our heart, um, our heart is Christ's home, but it's also Christ's heart is our home. And so whether in the time of persecution, as like in Revelation, or in the time of where the temple is fully in view, the Lord is still with us forever and ever is our strength, is our hope, is our salvation. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right. Uh, we have about um, 10 minutes or so, I think, for some uh, engagement, some comments or, or, or questions about any of the things that we have discussed. Sila, right? So there's a question, what is Sila? And so it's, it's believed that Sila is like a, a rubric, an instruction given to the musician and given to the gathered assembly to keep silent, to stop playing or to stop singing, to let 
the, wor the words, that, uh, the verses prior to that sila to sink in so we could consider what was just read or sung. Yeah, that the, both Luke and, and Psalms provides you and all of us with the hope and with the strength uh, that we need, isn't it? That offers us the word of hope. Um, yeah, and as a, as a community, both as individuals and as a community, we're needing that, that reminder again and again. Last night, I was praying for to God for give me an answer. Mm. It today you and this today mm. for me is wonderful. Mm. Mm. I, for me, I had hope today for each day. I mm. understand that God no God loved me. Mm -hmm. Everybody loved, and then only need to believe. No problem. Indeed. Amen. Yeah, praise be to God. I'm thankful to the Lord that his word was uh, a healing word for you and for, and for us. Yeah. Psalm 84 and um, these texts and the theme of the door um, really like, reminds me of the, you know, the wardrobe in Chronicles of Narnia, right? When you enter the, when you enter the door, you're open into the, wow, the, the realm of, wow, this is what God's love is about. This is who God is. It's a, it's a, it's a way to see life, right, in, its, uh, in, in a real way. This is what God is. This is who I am. This is who we are. So entering the gate of God's heart is to, be, is to have disclosed for us that in the midst of our anxiety and stresses and challenges both individually and as a community that God's world the world of his heart the eyes of faith help us to keep on keeping on with the faith hope and love that God provides for the pilgrimage yes well this is kind of a um, question that I that talks about when they asked him who's going to be saved. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, the, the, the way is narrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, many will try to get through, and they will not be able to, and I don't know them. So this always concerns me, because it's, it's sort of like I feel that when you believe Jesus' atonement for your sins, and you mm -hmm. know that he died for you, and you, you fully believe that, uh, and, and you've got the Holy Spirit, that you're saved. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like that there are works here that you have to do. I think mm. I'm grateful I'm saved, so I try to be like the hands and feet of Jesus mm -hmm. in, in everything I do. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I don't think I'm ever going to lose my salvation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to sin at mm -hmm. times. and So this seems a little harsh, but this is before he died. Mm. I mean, this is before any of this happened about the atonement and the. So, I still find I'm, I'm kind of saying that this is a difficult passage for me to because people ask me about it, mm -hmm. and I just say, and they say, well, do I have to be good? I have to confess my sins. I have, and I I'm saying, yeah, you have to be grateful that you're saved, and and 
this isn't really what this passage says to me, but I don't know if you want to comment on that or not, but that's just my oh, feeling about it. Absolutely, have to. I have to comment on that one. I do, I really do. Not only for the record, it's being recorded, but also uh, as one of your pastors, have to be sure, uh, assurance of salvation. Um, number one, let's be sure that once the Lord has saved us, has uh, loves us, we trust, place our trust and confidence in His life, death, resurrection. We are signed, sealed, delivered, done. Right? That's number one. So be assured of God's salvation for you. Number two, this particular passage is, con remember, he's teaching a parable here. It's connected to the three pr uh, prior parables in Luke chapter 13. And what is he addressing in this particular one? Those who seem so self-assured. And that's why when he says at the very end, indeed, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. He does that many times in other parts of the Gospels where he'll address, oh, those who felt, oh, I should be the first one in line. Uh, no, you're actually going to be the last in the line. And so the point of this one is um, that the kingdom of heaven, remember he's teaching the kingdom of heaven, and this is what Luke is about. What is the nature of the kingdom of heaven? Right? What is the character of the kingdom of heaven? The nature of the kingdom of heaven here is that the kingdom of heaven is present, right? He's still preaching and, and teaching and eating, uh, you know, fellowship meals. But what those who ate with him assumed that just because they were in his company, that somehow all of a sudden, oh, okay, we're your friends. It's like, well, why were you in his company? Was it just because you wanted to hang out and be cool and be associated with this man, Jesus? Were you really paying attention? Did you really love him? Or were you just there because you were enamored by him? Right? The kingdom of heaven is present, which means when the kingdom of heaven is no longer present, when he leaves from them, now what do you do? Right? So in essence, it's when you're entering the door and you're in the presence of God, be aware that you are in the very presence of God and all the ways that he's speaking to you, all the ways that he's blessing you, through the sermon, through a Bible study, through the songs, through your, your close friend who's telling you about the scripture verse or something, don't take it for granted because the kingdom of heaven is right there in front of you, right? So that's the, that's the piece that he's driving home. The kingdom of heaven is like that, just like the prior parables of the yeast, the, the fig tree, and the mustard seed. The nature of the kingdom of heaven is it is present and then it will flourish and blossom into a large tree. Or it's like yeast that penetrates. It starts off as this little element in the dough and then it will penetrate like this. So likewise here, it is like a narrow door. What is the doing part that, that we as human beings are to do? I mean, are we to do something? There is something that we do and what is that? Yes, we respond. We actually have to walk into the sanctuary, right? We actually have to listen. We actually have to, there is some sort of agency where human beings, it's not like, okay, let me just sit here, put my headphones and keep silent, and somehow God will, God will somehow speak to me. What are the ways in which God provides to speak to our hearts? Throughout Scripture, He speaks through Scripture, he speaks through other people who use Scripture, uh, Scripture that is sung, Scripture that is read, Scripture that is taught, Scripture that is proclaimed. Uh, 
God uses the sacraments, the bread and the cup, the water at the font. God uses prayers, all those things. Now, if we don't take advantage of those things that God uses and speaks through, we're going to miss the gate, the door, right? And so that's why it's important if someone comes to the church, we want them to attend in the sanctuary or to attend a Bible study because the Spirit of God uses these elements, uses the community, uses the Word in order to speak to the heart. And so there's a doing. The doing is we are acting. We are, we are partaking and, uh, and being engaged with the Word of God. neighborhood so aren't we saved Correct. it's just like you're not just born into the faith because mom and dad went to church it, it, there's no there the people here that are complaining have not responded and acted on it yes and i think that's why the door is shut and they see their surprise at who is entering and who is not correct yeah it's uh, hanging around Hanging around Jesus and hanging around holy things and holy people doesn't cut it. Not enough. That's the necessary, but it's not sufficient. It would be sort of like this. Here's the Bible. I'm going to put it right there, and then there's a cross right there, and we won't say anything. Mm-hmm. That just right. being in the presence of that Bible and that cross all by itself, right? If you weren't a believer whatsoever, or even as a believer, and you just sort of left it there, and you didn't do anything with it, that somehow, and let's increase that, let's put a whole stack of Bibles, and let's put crosses everywhere, but not say anything. It wouldn't do any good. Being exposed to the elements is important, but something has to be said. So likewise, yeah, you're in the general neighborhood and and vicinity of Jesus, but how are you engaging with this man Jesus? How are you engaging with the community? Are you just sort of hanging out? Like, okay, just by being in the presence there, I will somehow... Right? Otherwise, hanging around in the, in the garage makes me a car. Yeah. Right? As what, well as a what do you say to somebody who thinks they're going, assumes they're going to heaven? They're a pretty good person and, you know, they want to go to heaven, so why shouldn't they go to heaven? And they're young, but still. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, number one, I mean, you know, we don't know what is in each person's heart, right? Uh, but what what is helpful for, for, for anyone, whether they're, whether they're convinced they're going to heaven or whether they're convinced, no, I'm not going or I'm not sure. In both cases, what's always beneficial for anyone that we meet, family, friend, stranger, is how can we share a little bit of the Word of God? Because the Spirit uses the Word of God, right, to speak to the heart. Maybe not at that moment, but the Spirit is doing something, like the mustard seed. That every single exposure that someone has to the Word of God, and we pray, the Lord will honor that. And so, the, the usual way, the norm that God uses throughout the Scriptures, and even in our own life, of transforming lives, is God uses His Word. And whether it be a verse shared here, or a little wisdom from from Scripture that you know, you know, um, that God will use it. It's sort of like planks on a bridge. There's a plank here and then here. Maybe at a, at a VBS, a child will hear it one year. And then maybe five years later, they'll go to camp 
right? Or for a 26-year-old. Maybe they'll hear it from you um, at the Thanksgiving table. And then they come back to you, you know, the, the next Thanksgiving, and they'll hear another. The Spirit is using these elements, like the mustard seed, a little bit here and there. And that's why when, when someone finally comes to faith, no one could take credit, Right? Sometimes we think, oh, okay, well, it was because of my word at this moment that they came to faith. Like, no, because there may have been, likely, years and years of exposure to the word. And so it is a gradual pray for our loved ones, pray for your family, for your friends, um, but use the opportunity. Use the opportunity as, as much as you can uh, to share a little word of hope, share a little bit of Jesus here and there, um, trusting um, that the Lord is going to answer that because He always does. He always does. When something like that comes up, I have something that I can say about my experience with why I became a Christian. Because I wasn't born in a Christian home. And I had to find Him by myself, so to speak. But along the way, I was guided by going to Hollywood Presbyterian Church as a teenager. Well, that wasn't going to be something my mother and father were interested in, but mm -hmm. I was fortunate. So I think just telling your story of how you are, why you are a Christian with your family and your friends, not to be overbearing, mm -hmm. just when the opportunity came up, you know, a little something, just say, well, for me, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. That's just, yeah, uh, personal testimonies are it so really important. It really can be helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's being, it's being aware of the opportune time, right? It may not be the opportune time, like, oh, let me tell my story. Uh, but when it happens, and use the opportunity for personal testimony as well as share the testimony at the right opportune time. Who is this man, Jesus? And why is he so vitally important for our life, for our very humanity, for our future? So... We have come uh, to the uh, close of our, of our time together. Have a wonderful and blessed time in your small groups. Why don't we look to the Lord in prayer? Oh, Father in heaven, we are indeed uh, so grateful um, that you are our Lord who desires and delights to be with us, uh, who calls us into your heart, and you reveal and disclose to us your heart and your mind and uh, a world, oh God, that, uh, that, is, that by eyes of faith, we can uh, wrap our hearts and minds around that and to follow Jesus. And where we um, uh, are not um, as faithful in, in, in doing so, O oh God, we're grateful that you are still with us and you love us so dearly and so deeply. And so, Lord, I pray you would continue to abide with us on the pilgrimage of life and faith and be with my friends here, O oh Lord, as they go into small groups. Again, leading us by your spirit, leading us into truth and wisdom and to your love in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone.